Today in the Marshall Pruitt podcast, we have a dear friend, an awesome friend, someone though, Kara Adams, the woman who leads Firestone Racing's race tire development and engineering. I'm embarrassed to admit it's been a little more than a year since I've had you on the week in IndyCar. So you've been kicking butt. I've been failing there, pal. Oh, well, thank you, my friend, for having me on. So you're running around mad, trying uh, yes. to be a good coworker, team member, make racing tires happen, keep things clean and safe within the Firestone production facilities there. Oh, and by the way, we go racing here in, what, 48 hours, or it feels like, at Iowa with a double header. So why don't we uh, make good use of our time and get to your questions here, many of them Uh, the usual assortment of great stuff that cover a gamut of uh, topics. We'll say thank you quickly to our partners at Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, torontomotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets, USA. So let's get going here. Actually, a little bit of a a pre-topic. I know that you are very close pals, as am I, with one Catherine Legg, who did not have the best day in motor racing. I don't know if you've had a chance to text with her. Uh, I was trying to keep her her spirits up a little bit, but I know your heart's a little bit heavy here too. Yeah, absolutely. The nice thing about WhatsApp is uh, it's easy to communicate that way. So I'm um, just trying to keep in contact with her family and friends, and she's very much in my heart. I warned her to not sign any contracts or loan any money while she's yeah, on yes. he- heavy drugs there. I did tell her, though, she could hopefully, get that. Hopefully she has those good things going, yeah. Yeah, I told her she could get that $300 back to me anytime, though. So uh, <laughs> at least she laughed at that one. Why don't we kick off with our pal Lance Snyder. He says, Kara, how did the plan for the Texas tires come into being? And he's curious how difficult it was in trying to ramp up to produce so many tires now in a condensed schedule as well. And the Texas plan was one where you and the series had to improvise strictly due to COVID-19 and just shutdowns. It really affected your ability to do what you'd planned to do. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And it's a good two-part question too. Uh, when we looked at everything that was happening and everything that was going on, it was really trying to look at what the state of Ohio was doing, what the country was doing and trying to make sure that we were doing the right thing for our teammates. And as your listeners probably know, we had to shut down the plant early and that was just basically due to, we didn't really know what was going on with the, with the health of the people in the state of Ohio. And we wanted to make sure we were doing the right thing for our teammates. So we shut down the plant very shortly after we got back from St. Pete. So we were in the middle of building our Indy Grand Prix tires and we hadn't started our Texas production yet. So we were looking at when we would be able to safely start up. And we kept looking at the Texas state and thinking, all right, Texas going is going to happen, but we don't have time to make the tires that we had tested on track for and developed, we had actually developed a new construction for the right side. And we did a lot of modeling on that tire and we did a lot of vehicle analysis and testing. And we were really happy with the design of that tire. And we had a a compound change as well. But when we got right down to it, the dates were coming up and we talked to IndyCar and he said, hey, we want to help make this race happen, but we have a little bit of limited options at this point. So we looked to see what we had in our inventory and of course, we have some Indianapolis tires, which just wouldn't work. The right sides wouldn't work at Texas. The gauge is too, too thick. They would get too hot. Um, we had some tires that we had built as a backup 
tire to the Texas race tire. And it was actually a, a tire that we thought might have ended up being pretty good because it was a, a faster wearing right side compound. It wasn't the new construction that we had designed specifically for Texas. Um, and then we looked at left sides and what we could make work were left side Indianapolis tires because that's what we had already built. So we, we borrowed the left side tires that we were going to use and had already lettered for Indianapolis. So that's why we had some mismatched left side to right side, but we wanted to make sure Primarily, we have safe, durable, consistent racing tires, and we wanted to make sure that everything that we did along those lines, whether it was working with IndyCar and determining what we should do as far as the number of laps, sure, we're conservative, but we wanted to make sure that we were, were safe, first of all. Amen. That's your long-winded answer. <laughs> no, but that, look, we don't get on the phone with you, Caro, if we're looking for short, quippy uh, it's, nonsense. It's true. That, that's what folks look to me for. Uh, Dan Rice asks, Kara, how has Firestone prepared for this weekend's double header in Iowa compared to, say, a normal race weekend? And is curious, is there anything you've learned uh, maybe from Road America or any of the past doubleheaders IndyCar has done to help get you ready for Iowa and what's up coming up here at um, WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. So what's that like? Uh, how different is it or isn't it? So in a lot of ways, it's not different. There's things that we're doing different this year as opposed to what we would have done last year at Iowa, but that's more about logistics and mounting. To try to minimize how many times people have to touch a tire assembly, we're mounting them in Indianapolis and then taking them to the track with us. So the first few sets are already mounted. We already have the team's wheels and we're transporting them to Iowa. So um, it, it, it cuts down on the amount of times that people have to touch the same things. But as far as the doubleheader weekend, it's really not that different it's actually a little bit more simple for us when it comes down to it because we have the same specs we're going to use the same tires race one versus race two what we saw at road america and what we see often at double headers especially if there's no series that run before us or not a significant running or weather that we might have different wear in the first race versus the second race so if there's not quite as much rubber on track which i don't think is going to be the case at iowa so there's really not very many differences between a single race weekend and a double header race weekend but we do have the opportunity to learn a lot from the first race and apply that to the second race uh go to lynn gale there's a question here. It's like one that I should be able to answer, but can't. Just curious about how many sets of tires does a team go through in an average season? I know this year isn't an average season, so maybe uh, historically, what's the overall number an individual entry in IndyCar might go through for an entire season? And that's a good question. I'd have to estimate that in my head. Um, I'm What'd sure. be funny is if you said, Lisa. I'll be right back. I'm going to go run <laughs> exactly. out and count them. Uh, I'll yeah. be right back. Uh, whew, boy. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing somewhere around 300 and I can maybe tweet at you and give you the exact number that that, that, that is. Um, and it's obviously a little bit different this year. We, the way we do, we try to make sure we have team tires for all the teams for all the races, and then we have testing tires too. Well, this year we don't have as many tires that we're going to use in testing because testing is closed during the season, and we'll see what we'll have as far as the off season. So, you know, you take a, a doubleheader weekend, we have 14 sets here at Iowa. Indy is the biggest, um, you know, most typically we look at 30, 33 to 36 sets for Indianapolis. So there's a lot of running there. So um, my guess is going to be somewhere around the 300 to 350 range. We'll see how far off I am when I tweet you my correct answer. This is the perfect count the marbles in the jar and you win a prize if you get it <laughs> yes. right kind of thing. 
I feel like I should know this one, though. That's that's the thing. I feel like I have the answer key. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, though, you know, in, in your line of work, there's definitely a looking back element to learn and improve, but it's so forward-focused that uh, not a surprise it isn't sitting right there. So Absolutely. we've got two questions here, one from Ryan Terpstra, one from our pal Vincent Anderson. First one from Ryan on the theme, Care, is there anything Firestone can do to help the cars for Indy in August? Uh, says Texas was uh, a very different thing for you but learn anything that might help guide decisions for indy i think in terms of ambient heat and similar here from vinton as vincent as well curious about the wide range of anticipated ambient temperatures and how a steamy august might be different in terms of tire design and whatnot than the normal month of may tires you'd produce so we get a lot of questions about this boy august could be like being in an oven at indianapolis how do you and the Firestone team try and react and predict? Well, luckily we have very smart chemists and compounders that work for us, and they design our compounds to work in a wide range of temperatures. It's a good thing that I am not in charge of designing these compounds because as a mechanical engineer, I don't think my background would be well suited to that. <laughs> um, but what, what we've seen, what, there's always a little bit of difference in performance of the for the car and the tires, you look at the aerodynamics of the car, it changes quite a bit when you're at these different temperatures. But we, it was two years ago or maybe three years ago that we were above 100 degrees ambient at brutal. Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and that was pretty brutal. So um, we know the tires, the construction, the compounds can take those temperatures. It just changes the performance of the, of the car a little bit too. So that's it's one thing that we look at. Um, yes, they were designed and we had already started building them for a typical May day. But we know in May it can be six degrees on race day or it could be over 100 degrees. So I think the conditions in August are not going to be anything that's going to throw us for a loop. And the nice thing about this is we've had the time to, to design around this specific car. We actually ran this construction at Indianapolis Motor Speedway with the Aero Kit, and it tested actually pretty well. So there weren't any major changes needed for this year. So we'll see a very it's the same tire that we had last year. There's no no good reason to change, even looking at all of the vehicle data. So um, we'll be well prepared for Indy. Next question here. This comes in from Shauna Oakwood. I appreciate Shauna. She's always setting in great stuff for us. Mentioned before her question, spent about 45 minutes or so with Roger Penske in an interview last, I believe, Friday, Kara. And the opening topic was the new Race for Equality and Change program IndyCar and IMS have announced. And of all the topics we discussed for uh, engine manufacturers and pursuing Ferrari and schedule changes and all manner of things, the one RP spent the most amount of time on, just he just went, was on the Race for Equality and Change program. And once we were done speaking, doing a little bit of background discussion there, and had mentioned, I don't know if you're putting together an advisory group, but I'll tell you, there's a, a certain one by the name of Kara Adams who should be part of it, because <laughs> she has been in this space for many, many years trying to help educate uh, through STEM, just being a good citizen, trying to bring young women into uh, our beloved field of motorsports. So this piggybacks a bit off of Shauna's question, asking Kara, what do you feel needs to be done to get more women in on the technical side of racing? And I know you've been asked this many times and you've answered it here many times. She's also curious how you got into racing. So this new initiative 
I'm happy. And it seems to me, Kara, that boy, one of your great passions uh, is something that maybe could be uh, manifested to a larger degree in IndyCar as well. Yeah, that's that's a great question, and I I love answering this question. Um, it's it just I think being able to get young girls and young people of color, um, young minorities interested in racing in the first place, and then and just once you get them interested in racing. There's so much science involved in racing, so much science and technology involved in racing. So um, if you can grab them at an early age and then even use racing to show how cool science and technology are, you can start to draw people into the field. Um, there are so many great little experience, science experiments I love doing at the track. So one of the things that I've missed very much right now in these COVID times is the ability to talk to kids around race cars. Obviously, the priority is to keep people safe right now, but just to show people these little science experiments that you can do with the cars and around things that work on the race car. So I think getting people that maybe look like you, if you're if you're a kid and you see, if you're a young person of color and you see a person of color in, in racing or if you're a young girl and you see a woman out there doing things that maybe you didn't realize that a woman could be doing, um, you, you get that, you can generate that interest. So I think programs in schools are really key. Um, getting kids out to the racetrack are key. And then having having that re- representation. It's hard to get people into something if there are not people into something in, to start with. So that kind of draws people in. Um, I always love talking about science and engineering and Marshall. We've talked about the fact in the past that one of the things that drew me to science was people in my family being involved in science and primarily my mom. So my mom was a science teacher and for me, okay, that my dad taught Spanish and modern languages. So the language is something that the guys do and science is something that the girls do. That's what <laughs> I kind of grew up with. And my grandfather being a NASA engineer, I thought engineering was really great. I had, you know, at one point thought about working on the space shuttle, but at one point I wanted down into the machine shop where they design and build the formula SAE car for the University of Akron. So to answer your second question, I kind of wandered into it. I lucked into it. So I walked in, they were building this car, asked what they were doing, asked to get involved. And I started by doing machining and um, learning how to use a mill and a lathe. And and eventually I got to get in and sit in this little car. And if you've ever sat in an open wheeled race car, you fall in love. I, I don't care who you are. If you sit in the car, you're either, you have, you either have some Something scared out of you or you fall in love. <laughs> well, the other thing that I appreciate about you, Karen, I need an update here is, you know, you're, you're a woman of action. You're not just doing the race car stuff, you know, on the weekends. Uh, how's the, the garage project going? I think last update I had, you were trying to put the motor, you were putting the motor together, or I, I might be a little bit off on the status there, but you know, you're also working on hot rod stuff at home too, which I just love. Yes, so I have. I actually got everything up and running on uh, my my Mustang that I've rebuilt most of it, and then I was going to do a suspension change, and I actually had it out to drive around the block, and it overheated, so... Um, now it's time to tear apart the engine again and see what's going on. So um, a little bit embarrassing that I don't have that quite running yet, but it's always a project that's going in the background. So I, I really enjoy doing that. I enjoy working on that. Um, I had a uh, my other car is an Audi RS4 and the oil cooler went. One of my engineers tried to convince me that I wanted to do that on my own. And I thought, ah, no, that's actually what I'm going to take it and have done. <laughs> 
There's one. I know. I know my pa- limits of my patience. No, there's one truism, and it's oily, stinky hands. It's that's never the fun uh, part of the job. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, let's go to Chris Hoffman, and I appreciate asking really straightforward, basic questions like this because we can't assume that everyone knows everything about a really intricate sport like racing. Chris says, Kara, how does a new tire have more grip than a used one if they're indeed the same tire? And that might uh-huh. be pivoted off of uh, where we saw maybe Patricio Ward last weekend finishing the race on uh, some used, some scrubbed Firestone alternates compared to Felix Rosenvist chasing him down on brand new, uh, beautiful Firestone primaries. How does How does a tire that's old go slower than one that's new so that's a great question and it's not a straightforward question surprisingly enough so there there are a couple of things that can change about the tire so from the first time a tire is run run to the second tire the time is run the time the tire is run not only does it have now wear on it and the, the tread gauge itself is a little bit thinner but i love using the analogy of a brownie so when you take a brownie and you cook it um, my, my preferred brownie has a little bit of gooey in the inside and it's just perfect and delicious. And now I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> but if you take that brownie and you, you take it and it's a great brownie, but then if you take it, you might actually cook it a little bit more, bake it a little bit more. And when you're on the track, that's essentially what you're doing. You're heating the tire, you're heating things up and you're actually cooking it a little bit further. If you remember science class, rubber is basically it's, it's vulcanized polymer. So you, you apply heat and pressure to this polymer and sulfur and all the magic things that make a race tire and it, it cures and it, it makes this cured tire tread. Um, and it's, it's, ideally cured but then if you bake it a little bit more it changes and then if you bake it a little bit more it changes so sometimes um that tread cooking a little bit more can kind of change the characteristics of the tire we have figured out in the prout household that the organic personal pizza that my wife loves vegetarian this and that right it's it's not just a normal pizza we have figured out that 18 minutes is the perfect time in the oven and it's no joke because similar to the description here of tires you get in like with a minute the timer beeps it is leap and get it because if you get to about 19 even 20 in the very short amount of time that little bit of extra heat and and cooking time it becomes like a rock so i'm not saying that we have the same rock like parallel here but it is a thing where you go Boy, it's perfect in this state. Add a little bit more heat, or in this case, another heat cycle and <laughs> another possibly. And all of a sudden, you don't have the same grip that's available. So that's a great question, Chris, and I do appreciate uh, you're asking it. couple more here. Kara, we go with, uh, let's see. How about Craig Johnson as a nice note, uh, thanking us for doing the show, and also a kind note here from my wife telling her to keep fighting. Mentions. Kara, has Firestone made any changes to tires this season to account for the aero screen? Says, has there been any changes to, say, the compound, sidewall strength, etc., due to the increased mass in the front of the car and all of the physics going on that are different from last year? So, interesting one. I know race engineers, I talk to them every week, and they're still trying to figure out the puzzle with this extra heft, making the car a little more roly-poly and doing all kinds of stuff. 
Have you had to do anything to, I guess, air quote, combat uh, the extra weight and potentially any extra wear it might place across either the front axle or the rear? Yeah, so that's actually one of the, the our big focus items over this past year of design. Um, a question that I've gotten a lot this year is in-season testing affected what tires that we're bringing to the track. Um, and it really hasn't. We've done our, our testing and our analysis last year. Um, so coming into this year, we already had our tire design set based on what we learned on the aero screen. Now, there were a couple of areas that we were going to make a construction change and actually change what the guts of the tire look like as far as, you know, you think about a tire being rubber and strings and metal and all it, it intricate angles to make the performance of those Firestone Firehawks you see out on the racetrack. Um, for Texas, we did plan on making a right side change, but like we talked about, because our plans were shut down, we couldn't bring that construction. But we have had to, in certain cases, modify the tread a little bit. Um, we know that we're going to have more weight on the front of the car. And as your listeners have heard, lots of the different race engineers and strategists come in and say there's a lot more roll in the car, so it changes how the car behaves. But even with all of these changes, it's not as drastic as maybe even we thought at first. So we, we looked at some of the simulations working with um, Honda and Chevy and doing our own simulations. And we were we thought that the change was going to be a little bit more drastic than it actually was. So we were prepared for a little bit more drastic change. But um, it turns out the changes that we've had to make are relatively minor, even looking at Indianapolis, where we're bringing the exact same tire in Iowa, same as last year. Like your tires, Kara, man, you are nailing apexes and fast as heck and laying down awesome answers here. So greatly appreciated. Here's another one uh, from our pal Vincent Anderson, and maybe this fits the brownie example, but one in terms of how long it sits out on the table. It says, Kara, will the tires that were made for St. Petersburg's uh, postponed race in March, will they still be viable for late October? Maybe explain that process too. How do you make something uh, that is now had to sit or will sit for six plus months, seven months? How do you make sure those are still uh, fresh as a daisy? Well, that's a great question, Vincent. And when we look at our tires and how long we have them, we have storage policies and retention policies. And our great partners over at Performance Tire in Indianapolis, they store all of our tires in a climate humidity controlled environment. So we, we know that they're, they're going to be the same tires as they were that would have been if we would have run them in March. So um, we, we do have strict limits on when we would keep tires around and when we would stop using them. Uh, but that's still all within range of what we'll be able to do. So, yep, they'll be the same tires and they'll be fine. Any recommendations for any amateur racers that are listening? Maybe they're, whether, who knows, could be Formula SAE, SCCA, mm -hmm. NASA. In a similar situation, racing season's over maybe, have a couple of sets of new tires, how would you recommend they care for those tires or what might they do during the off season to make sure that those tires are still fresh when they get back to action? So great question. And I'm going to answer that with what you should not do. So you, you shouldn't leave them out in the sun. Um, don't leave them outside. Don't let them go to freezing temperatures if you can. And then one thing that some of our uh, unfortunate IndyCar teams have found out is don't leave tires next to a generator because generators give off ozone and that ozone can end up deteriorating a tire. It's the same as if you were to leave a tire outside in the sun for a year, it can do the same damage. I've mentioned this 
quick dumb story in the past, but it, it does. It's funny how actually disobeying the don't rule here was a thing. So towards the late 1990s in Indy Lights and uh, I'm trying to remember whether Firestone was still the brand or whether it had moved to Dayton as the official brand uh, supporting Indy Lights. But teams were at Fontana, I believe Michigan as well, and the cars were so equal and so much work had been done to remove downforce and drag all again, spec cars. So there's only so much that could be done. There were some smart teams that realized the only way to try and find an advantage since the cars just had too much downforce for their liking was to hold on to their used tires and try and find the most extreme conditions to put them in just sitting outside baking in the sun i mean truly doing all they could to remove grip from the tires and safety was ended up safety wasn't an issue uh but that ended up being the advantage where you're looking and you're going these are like blue you know these are like things you'd find in an old you know uh junkyard these things have been here for 30 years it looks like and that was actually the secret because there was nothing left to take speed away from these cars that had too much grip so um that's the one instance i can think of where putting your race tires in the sun actually paid off a little bit (laughs) that's great uh let's see get to our our rounding up towards a close here we got a couple folks care curious about the situation we found at Texas with compound put on the circuit that was not of IndyCar's making and certainly not of Firestone's choosing, we know that we're going to have uh, at least one or more interactions with NASCAR-related series coming up here. So J.J. Gertler, Greg Sikor as well. Curious if there's anything that might be done, uh, any future doubleheaders between IndyCar and NASCAR, where... I guess our open wheelers are not negatively affected by the rubber put down from those uh, tires used in a different series, not on Firestones. And also any thoughts or lessons that came out of Texas where you and your team and the series and every racing team had to react very quickly to a track surface that was different than expected. Yeah, so that's a, a great question, and it's definitely something that we learned from this year. We, before every race weekend, or up until COVID times, before every race weekend, or the first day of the race the race weekend, we go out and we measure both the track surface roughness, so looking at a laser displacement of the surface and understanding the characteristics of that and the interaction with the tires, but we also measure grip of a circuit. And when we went out at Texas, the the first thing we did is we looked up and went, oh, that's pretty dark. So um, we went up to the the surface of the track um, the beginning of that first day, and we measured the grip on the surface, and the coefficient of friction was, let's just say it's around one for the regular racing line. When you get to onto that the dark surface, it actually dropped about 15%. So we knew immediately, and we sent a text to IndyCar to let them know, hey, that just so you know, this this surface, this traction surface is actually very low grip. So uh, we knew going into the race weekend that this was going to be a, a challenge for the team. So we made sure we let IndyCar know that right away. Um, and we learned from that a couple things. One, to make sure we as IndyCar and Firestone 
better communicate with the the track and understand what's been done to the track and what the condition of the track is in. So working with either our counterparts at the tracks themselves or with the other series that race there to understand what's been done. Um, and we know that that combination of the rubber that had been sitting there for a, a very long time and the, the, the traction compound just was a, was going to be very low grip. So not just for our tires, I think any tires that would have gone on there with a 15% reduction in the coefficient of friction, and that's not, not measured using a Firestone tire, that's used, measured using a airport surface friction tester. So uh, we knew it was going to be an issue going in. And 15% might sound like a small number compared to the 100% that we're basing it off of. That's a massive number. That's, that is night and day, which is why we saw anytime a driver got up into what I've officially termed as the NASCAR tire goo. Anytime yeah. that uh, folks got up there. Yeah, that was, uh, that was not a happy time for them. Let's, uh, Let's see. Why don't we get to uh, two more questions and then we'll let you back to your day. Jordan Darwin says, care of long wondered if having H-A-L-V-I-N-G IndyCar tire widths would drastically decrease cornering speeds. Says expecting a diminishing return of traction as a tire width increases. Would you expect, say, a 50% width reduction to still retain around, who knows, 70% grip and such? Very curious about Is there something here to think about if we want to try and make the cars even more challenging to drive in the corners, actually taking away tire width? And if not, why wouldn't we want to go down that direction? Well, certainly with the width of the tire and the width of that contact patch that touches the ground is directly proportional to how much lateral or side grip that you have. So whenever you're making tires narrow, uh, I don't think we want to quite go to the 1911 four inch <laughs> wide tire contact patch, but um, we've gone wider and wider over the years. The, the tires as a, a general industry, and when we're doing looking at oval racing have gone wider and wider. The, the front wheels are 10 inches. So the contact patch is maybe a little bit more than that, or depending on how much camber might be less than that. Um, and then the rear wheels are 14 inches wide. So it's quite quite a big, large lateral grip amount that you have. So whenever we talk about um, wheel sizes, um, we always talk with IndyCar. But one important point of looking at a larger tire is the more volume of air you have inside the tire, the higher load carrying capacity you have. So if you can have the tire is not held up by the sides of the tire, the tire is held up by the air inside the tire. So if you have, if you look at the the tire as a, we like to call it a pressure vessel. Hopefully I'm not getting too geeky or nerdy here with you, Marshall, but I know you appreciate these answers. Um, but if, if you think about it as a pressure vessel, the larger the vessel is, the more load and the more load that you can carry. So when you get make you get into the idea of having a tire or making it smaller, it's not just a matter of reduction of lateral grip. It's the a reduction of overall load carrying capacity. No such thing as too geeky on the weekend IndyCar care, Adam. So we don't, right. you know, there's a reason why we call you because you make us <laughs> smarter. And so that's a super good thing. Well, after lots of intelligence and knowledge transfer, let's close with a question once again from Vincent Anderson. We're not asking you to tax the critical thinking side. He asks, Kara, if you could have any superpower, which would it be 
and what would be most valuable to use that superpower in your job? Oh, so um, Vincent, great question again. Um, I had this question when I interviewed at Ridgestone. Really? So my very first interview at Interview Lunch, they said if you had a, they, they said a minor superpower. So I, I feel like major superpower is, is a little bit much to ask. I do have an answer for that, though, but a minor superpower. And my answer at the time was to be able to reach for a tool I was doing a lot of work on my car at the time, and it would be the right one to be able to look at a, a, a nut and realize, all right, is that 13 millimeters or is that a half inch? Not that, that one matters, but being able to being able to look and, and know exactly what a bolt is and reach for that tool and it's right there. That was that was the superpower that I wanted. Um, now, I <laughs> this is probably terrible to say, but I would love to have the ability. Um, the I think this is probably a more major than a minor, but the ability to know um, if someone is telling the truth. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great, great ability? I mean, look at politics, look at racing, look at everything. Yeah. I, phenomenal superpower. Well, you would need to also have a great psychiatrist because you might yeah. be one of the most depressed <laughs> people on the planet, Kara. Absolutely. I mean, oh no, seriously, the I, this compound, it's the best you've ever made. Don't change a thing. And all of a sudden, you yes, you got the buzzer going off and you're like, yes. oh no, what do we got to do here? And, and then you might get, hey, is that a new haircut? It looks great. Oh, <laughs> have you company. lost weight? Like no one ever asked me that question. So that they don't even have oh, to. But <laughs> well, Kara, as always, you are, you're just a treasure. And uh, we're so appreciative of you. And beyond all that you do for IndyCar on behalf of Firestone, the giving nature that is within you to try and grow the sport, make it more, make it better, more inclusive. I'm so happy to hear about the race for equality and change. Even better note, Kara Adams been on that uh, initiative for many, many years. So uh, really looking forward to where the future goes here with you in that, but also can't wait to get racing again this weekend in Iowa. So thanks to you. Thanks to Firestone. Thanks to IndyCar. Thanks to all of our partners that support our show. I am Marshall Pruitt. That's the awesome Kara Adams. I'm going to speak to you next week.